0: Hello and welcome back to the Applied Ballistics podcast. This is episode three. And in this episode, I am being joined by Paul Phillips. Um, My name is Amanda Wheeler. I am the Applied Ballistics Marketing Specialist. And tonight, Paul and I are going to talk all things um, GPG, which is Global Precision Group. And then we're going to jump into him walking me through some instructions on how to be a good long-range spotter for your teammates. Um, As we've talked about in previous episodes, the theme of this podcast is uh, basically teaching me how to be a better long-range shooter. And by doing that, we're hoping to help other shooters become better shooters as well. So welcome, Paul. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Hey, thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here and I love your new podcast.
0: Thanks. Thanks. It's been um, a fun, exciting thing for me to do. Um, It's something AB's talked about for quite some time, and we've finally gotten to the place um, where things have settled down, and and we've been able to give it a little bit of dedication and time. So I'm really excited about it, and I'm super glad to have you here. Um, You've worked with AB on various projects. Um, You've shot with all the guys on various teams from f Glass all the way to ELR. And uh, so you're definitely a Applied ballistics friend and we're super happy to have you chat with us tonight.
1: Oh, thanks, Amanda. You know, we're, uh, it's exciting to be on a new team um, and, uh, you know, we all are still supported and sponsored by AB and we're really glad to have that relationship moving forward. You know, AB has been a foundation for all of our shooting from the beginning. So we feel that we're part of the family and we really share successes with a B and a lot of what we've done is because of all the hard work that a B has put forward with all the applications and accessories. And, and I think that it's important as we talk in this next hour about how that all, you know, how, how it affects us when we're shooting long range and extreme long range, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there in the internet land that they might not understand completely, of the process and how it all works and how to evaluate what you're doing, just like anything else, like loading bullets. I mean, if you're not paying attention to quality control and if you're not paying attention to certain things, you're not gonna get good results with loading bullets either. So you really have to pay attention to all the details within every element of long range shooting, whether it be loading bullets, your ballistic solver, reading the wind, spotting, communication, all those things have to be put together and you need to practice them, um, to do well.
0: Um, I, and and I, yes, I agree with that. And as, as I'm going through this process of, you know, I got, I got my first long range 22 rifle, uh, last year. And so I've been learning and I'm, I'm getting ready to buy something a little bigger. And, um, I decided it was time for me to to just get in it and, and figure out all the steps and all the processes. Um, am <clears throat> you know, I'm learning how to, to, to use applied ballistics analytics and I'm learning how to put my information into the AB app and pair my Kestrel and, you know, pay attention to, you know, the wind flags on, you know, where, where I'm, at and also down range and there's so many steps and there's so many things to learn and I'm just super excited to be surrounded by so many people um, that I'm friends with and that I work with that are you know leaders in the industry who I can learn from and I'm excited to share that with other people.
1: No I think it's great Amanda I mean it's a great soundboard um, all the stuff that you're doing um, the steps that you're going to be taking and people that you're reaching out and talking to. Um, I did a similar thing, you know. When I got out of the Marine Corps in 1992, I was in a scout sniper platoon, and I learned a lot about long-range shooting. But you know, I really didn't understand competitive shooting. Competitive shooting is a totally different game than than uh, sniping, you know. And um, getting into building match rifles and getting into um, loading match and match grade ammunition. You know, there's a lot of other things, technical stuff that I never knew. And so I reached out to people that had been doing it a lot longer than me. Um, you know, mid Nancy Tompkins, Dave Tubb, Raymond Gross, you know, those people have been doing it for a long time before me. And I reached out to them and picked their brains and tried to, to, you know, learn and mold myself uh, after people that were have been successful in competing. So I think it's a good thing that you're doing. I think mean, it's a great model. And along the way, I think listeners can, you know, cue into certain aspects of what you're doing and, you know, maybe help themselves with the process and understanding how to maybe go about training and what gear to use and what have you.
0: So when you reached out to, you know, some of these legends in the, you know, long range uh arena I, did you come across the same thing I'm finding like people you might think might be unapproachable because they're just they're you know I don't want to use the word famous but they're famous in yeah. the shooting community um, I, I'm finding that when I ask questions nobody is um, you know Pulls a celebrity on me, you know what I mean? They're they're sure. always so eager to share what they know and to help yeah. you learn and give you advice and opinions and and it, that's very refreshing to me.
1: Yeah, you know um, when I when I first started out in 90, 1992, I was an instructor at the base in um, Camp Pendleton, and I was getting I knew I was going to get out of the Marine Corps, and I wanted to start competing while i was going to college and i and i called gail mcmillan gail was building the you know that's kelly and rock mcmillan's father Uh gail and he he you know he's been building the sniper rifle since the 70s you know the m40 sniper rifle and you know we didn't have computers and and cell phones back then well
0: right you know we probably (laughs) did
1: but they weren't like today (laughs) but anyways so i reached out him on a landline and and you know i was a nobody Amanda, I, I was a nobody and he actually had me call me at his house and we talked for hours and I was just blown away. And I kept asking, Hey, you want me to let you go? No, that's okay. Paul, just, you know, what what else do you need? To... It was unbelievable experience. And that was the same way with David Tubb and Ray Gross and Nansky and Mid Tompkins. I mean, they were just, it's their passion. It's their life. It, you know, so, you know, to answer your question, you know, to, to, Re emphasize what you just said. I mean, most shooters are more than willing to share their 30, 40, 50 years of knowledge and help you out. You know, I think that sometimes people have to realize that there's a time and place for it, right? I mean, just before a guy gets to sure. go up to the line at a world championship, it's probably not a good idea to ask him about things, but <laughs> to understand that maybe after the day is over to approach him, you know, um, that. But by all means, yeah, they're they're more than willing to help out.
0: I yeah, I'm I'm glad that that we have the same experience, and I don't think there's very many shooters who could could argue that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, before we get into the the spotting discussion, oh. tell me tell me what's going on with uh, GPG. What are y'all What are y'all looking looking towards for this shooting season?
1: Sure. You know, it's been surreal, Amanda. I, I never dreamed that GPG would have been so successful right away. I mean, to start a new team, there's so many obstacles and challenges. Um, and that, then
0: immediately just kill it at King of Two Mile?
1: Well, it wasn't just King. <laughs> I mean, you know, first starting out in January, we went out and we were testing out in the desert. And we did the 6,000-yard impact. And along with that, it wasn't just, you know... We weren't going out there just to impact steel as far as we could. The purpose was to practice as a team. And uh, along with being out there and having all the equipment and whatnot, we did some tests. And we were testing the new TACOM version Delta. And so in doing that, we had a little fun and we made an impact at 6,000. But more importantly, though, we were practicing for the king. And we did simulated matches out there in the desert where we put ourselves on timers and we were shooting the distances one to two miles, just like you would do at the King of Two Miles. So there was a lot more to it than just, you know, going out there and shooting a bunch of rounds and hopefully getting lucky and hit a piece of steel. But And then we went to the King of Two Mile USA and we finished um, first, third and fourth.
0: Which is amazing. Um,
1: So, yeah, I mean, that's really, really was awesome. You know, we had a great time and. I, I skipped the King of Two France. I went over to France and I teamed up with the Italians, and uh, it was their very their very first time shooting uh, extreme long range. And I indoctrinated them with the, with my, I call it my strategy for ELR, and they picked up on it right away. And we finished second, third, and sixth, so that was really good. They were excited, and and it was challenging over there. And then we came back to. Um, uh, the NRA national championships and I helped Dave Tubb win his national championship. And then Ray gross shot my rifle with a ply ballistic solver that I did for him and just gave him a cheat sheet and he won, he won the overall. I mean, so, <laughs> and then we went back to the desert again in September and we did the 7,070 yard shot. Um, That was more of a um, designated attempt for four miles and we were testing bullets and we were testing ballistics and we were testing the tacom um, a new version of the tacom um, HQ Delta and Charlie. So okay. that was kind of cool. Um but yeah it was a great year. Um you know we we're very fortunate Amanda to have so many sponsors and so much support. Um we couldn't have done what we did last year without all the support from all the great companies and so it's been a great year. And the next year, 2020, we got a huge plate full uh, planned. We're going to do King of Two Mile USA, King of Two Mile Canada, King of Two Mile France. Um, the NRA has been canceled because of the COVID-19, but we're going to maybe put in a other another couple of matches. And then I'm going to be doing an ELR clinic in Canada with Robert Furlon. I'm going to do an ELR clinic for the U.S., um, Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association and the Army sn- Snipers called The Gathering and The Fall. We're doing an ELR clinic out there. I th- you guys are going to be participating in that as well, I think.
0: It, in some way, we are. We're trying to work that out, yes.
1: And then um, I'd like to really go to Kansas to do the Spear Point match um, just because there's a lot of people that are involved. and in it. It's kind of exciting, and I'd really like to try to make it there for your guys' laboratory uh, at Ringneck.
0: Yeah, we're excited about try, I'm Neck.
1: trying to make my arrangements to have the team there to do PDMs. Cause that's oh. pretty cool.
0: Yeah. We'd love to have you there. Um, that'd be great.
1: So as you can see, you know, we're, we're putting in the hours, you know, we're putting in the, we're putting in the time to practice. We're putting in the time to shoot ma- a lot of matches. And we're also trying to put in the time to give back to our to our friends and to our sponsors and to our affiliates to help educate and promote extreme long range.
0: That is so exciting. Um, Well, I know I know uh, our path will cross um, a couple of times throughout the shooting season this year. So that's um, I'm excited about that. So let's let's talk really quick about what went into getting this six thousand and seven thousand yard shot because it just seems so crazy to me. Yeah. Um, that that you can make a shot like that and have impact. Um, how how big is the target?
1: So the reason. Let me let me back up real quick and give kind of okay. a rationale because a lot of people. I want to make sure the story is correct you know the the real reason is we were testing um a lot of different products you know the new charlie and delta Tacom hq product and see if it was repeatable reliable we're also testing different bullets to see how well they're consistent going through trans and subsonic speeds we're okay. also testing our solvers and and while we're doing all that we're practicing wind reading and spotting and, and communication so and it's fun. Shooting a long ways is fun. I go back to 2011 with Brian Litz. He came up, we found an area up in Northern Michigan where we were shooting a mile with a new, with a 300 grade hybrid, which was kind of a new bullet back then. And, you know, we were shooting um, half to three quarter minute groups repeatedly at a mile. And uh, I thought that was just like amazing, you know? So right. it kind of lit my enthusiasm. It kind of sparked my enthusiasm for extreme long range. And when Mitch came up to me and showed me the lethal mag round during the U S team practice in 2015, I was like, man, I want to do that. So, you know, it's just kind of been building um, with my passion for a long time. And, you know, I just, me personally, I've always felt a love just, just to see how far we can go and put rounds around a target and hit it. Now I'll say this, once we found our zero at three and four miles, we were putting rounds on video, um, like within 10 foot circles, like three, four, five shots in a row within 10, 10 foot circles. So it wasn't like we were just spraying rounds all over the countryside and then got lucky.
0: <laughs> I right, mean, we right. were
1: putting them in groups at that distance. And then to hit the steel, obviously, is it's very difficult. But if you have a group... That's a minute of angle or two minutes of angle at that distance. You know, it might, it might take you a few shots to hit the half minute of angle bullseye, but um, it really surprised me. I didn't think that one, the analytics and the solver would be that accurate. Two, I didn't think that the rounds could be that consistent. And three, um, I didn't. Think that we that we could repeat it, which we did. We went back to back attempts at um, six and seven thousand yards. So now, hopefully, this year we'll go for eight. But it's just fun, and we're experimenting and we're learning. A lot of the things that we learned during those practices and those shoots, we used at King of Two Mile to do well. I mean, we right. we we learned a lot out there. Um, just little things, you know, um, light, how light affects. Your solver, um, there's just so many little things. When you shoot at a farther distance, it magnifies your errors, and it's like, wow, I didn't even think about that or this or that. So it really, nice. it really helped us identify what to train harder on and what to pay attention to, you know, to help us I, out.
0: I, I, I'm, I, it's just very impressive, and and it's super exciting for the sport, um, and learning is, is fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I talked to Nick Vitaldo about this, you know, I was, you know, chatting with him along the way and asked him details. Cause you know, I'm not a ballistician. I'm not a programmer. Like those guys are way above my, my pay grade. And so there's little hmm. things I picked up on and they were very interested in what the results were and what happened. And we're actually at the point now where Nick needs to do another type of um, Software because we've kind of exceeded the analytics uh, program what it was originally designed for. We're going to have to go to some type of artillery uh, program.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's that's crazy. (laughs) So crazy. Yeah. So um, it it's it's pretty you know well known. I think that one of the areas that you truly succeed in is running a team with your spotting and your, um, you know, wind call and helping the shooter who's, um, you know, laying down, trying to get their target.
1: Sure. Um,
0: If you could just kind of walk me through what, what makes, what makes you so, you know, what, what things do you do that make that so flawless? Um, Because it really is, an important piece, like the shooter is the shooter, and they yeah. have to, you know. But they that when you're shooting that kind of distance, the person on your team who's spotting for you, really, without I mean, without them, you can't do it.
1: Right. There's a lot of things you know that that I think that went into mm-hmm. developing that skill set. Um, w- when I did the King of Two Mile um, TV show, which is still available on my website, global precision group, LLC.com. You can watch all the whole series and, uh, you can watch along on a big screen TV and, and get an eye. That's actually a good thing for you, Amanda to watch that on video. Cause you can pick I, out stuff I, that people I are didn't doing. I
0: realize You had the whole thing on your, on your website until today. And and I, yeah. had, I'm going to go watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's, you can watch everybody shoot and whatnot, but if you pay attention on that show, it's a great learning tool because you'll notice that with the spotters and the team, the way that the teams are set up and spotting, some of them you can see that they're not they're not using very stable positions. They're not communicating very well together. There's a whole bunch of things you can pick out, and it's not to it's not to point your finger at anybody or tease anybody. It's it's a learning environment. We're always Absolutely. learning. And, I mean, I even watched myself and I learned things. Um, that was one of the things that Doc did that was so great. He videotaped our a lot of our stuff so we could kind of review things and look at things and pick out, you know, things that were wrong. But, you know, if you, if you watch that, that video series, you can start to see with your own eyes how important it is to the way that you're set up, the way that you communicate to each other the way that you're in a stable position, the type of optics that you're using, um, and then the bullet traces that are going through the air and the impacts on the ground of what you're seeing. I mean, there's so much stuff that goes in that is, is involved in, you know, being able to be more successful. And not only that, but the time management. If you notice a lot of the teams that are scoring higher scores generally have a higher, a faster tempo and it's simple i mean the wind is always changing and if you can get more rounds downrange in a less period of time you're more likely to put rounds on target um not always there's some anomalies where you have a huge shift or something that that you may have to pay attention to but by and large you know if you're putting a faster rate of fire down you're going to be more successful with a higher ratios of impacts um one of the things that I was able to do when I was um, spotting for Mitch and Brian in 2016, and then in 17, I coached the whole team. I just simply had a lot of time watching bullets and, and practicing my commands and, you know, learning the things that I was, that, that were, you know, mistakes we were making. So literally it was just, you know, a lot of practice doing that task. Right. And like anything else, if you're going out and you're practicing a lot, you get better at it. So, you know, and I think also, too, I think that maybe I've been around a lot of people that have been spotting next to me. And I know that there's been quite a few people say that I that they didn't see anything. Well, there might be something to the fact that some people can see things and maybe some people can't. Maybe their eyes are different. I don't know. I mean, I think there might be something to that. Um, also, too, the way that you set up and the magnification on your scope and the type of device and the stability can make a huge impact. Like there's sometimes where I might just not be focused with the right magnification and I may not see anything and other people might see things better. So the way that your optics are set up can make a big difference. And that's why I suggest practicing a lot because then you get more used to how to set your optics up and how to stabilize yourself and what magnification to be on and and you learn more about how to be a better spotter than that but I'll go back to 2017 when we won the king of two mile with Derek and me and Emil were helping him spot and and Reed win when I was shooting in the finals neither of us me Brian or Mamel we had a really hard time seeing my shots my impacts and um, it was we we struggled, and when I told them I said, "Hey, we've already shot like six or seven shots. I'm gonna stay in my scope and see if I can see anything." Well, when I did that, my very first shot, bam! There it was. It was like stuck out like a sore thumb. Well, for whatever reason, I could see impacts with my scope on my rifle better than what they could with their spotting scopes. Now, maybe it's stability. Maybe I'm more stable, or my eye is not moving around, where it's more apt to see a little twitch um so there's a lot of things that i started thinking about going into spotting and and i learned that stability is huge in spotting if you're more stable where your head and eyes are not moving around you're way more apt to seeing a signature or a trace uh at extreme long range distances so oh, that led us to go into a whole new realm of training in 2019 with team gpg we worked on just Spotting and communication and shooting fast.
0: Okay. So when you're spotting, do you find – because I've seen, um, you know, spotters who sit. I've seen spotters who stand. I've seen, right. um, you know, uh, you know one eye optics yeah. versus two eye optics. Um, yeah. What do you find is a good combination for you?
1: Well, in the last – we'll see – well, probably from 2017. So three years, I every time I went to a match, I was always in between our teammates shooting. I would go up and down the line, and I'd look through everybody's optics, and I would see what worked best for me. Um, for me, it was the Swarovski BTX95. I mean, I could see it was like the Matrix, you know? I mean, I could see everything. Right. Right. I could see everything. And one of the things about your eyeballs. You know, your eyeballs have muscles in them and they, get, they can get fatigued just right. like the other muscle. And if you're squinting, you get a sympathetic reaction, right? So you, if you're squinting one eyeball, the other eyeball wants to squint too. So I just learned that, you know, a binocular type, you know, like the Highlander or the BTX 95, you know, those type of spotting scopes, you can relax all day long and keep both eyes open and it's much more relaxing and you're more apt to see things better. And then you add stability to that. And then now you're talking about you can really spot a lot better. I mean, you're you're solid in your position. Now you talk about standing, sitting, and kneeling and laying. Well, I would say that you need to practice that. Now, the way yeah. that I practiced it two years ago at my local club was I was shooting a 22 rimfire. You could take your 22 rimfire out to like 300 yards or 500 yards and practice spotting that little 22 bullet at 500 yards. You know, it's a smaller signature. It'll train your eye better. You know, that was one of the ways that we practiced on spotting was just going out and shooting a 22 at 500 yards. And, um, that's one way, but the, the main, the main thing there was that I tried a whole bunch of different positions, um, With using a 22 at 500 yards, I just, you know, I messed around my tripod, tried different tripods, I tried different weighting systems, I tried sitting down, I tried laying down, we made a plate and mounted it to the plate. There's just a whole bunch of things we tried where we could just, you know, through trial and error, we got to where we were the most stable. Where if you had a 10 to 15 mile an hour gust of wind, it didn't matter because you were so stable that the scope was not moving around. And then you're you're able to see those little tiny signatures of that little speck of dirt flying, you know? Right. But that's what I did to learn how to do that better.
0: So you use a, a, a binocular on a stand and you, you stay no, the, the
1: BTX 95 Swarovski is a oh, binocular spotting a not,
0: spot. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's like the Highlander. You remember Brian's Highlander? Yes. It's a dual eyepiece.
0: Yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's a dual eyepiece binocular. So the BTX 95 is the same way. It's a dual eyepiece. And then you can keep both eyes open and relaxed. Now what I do is you don't want to touch the scope because whenever you touch it with your hands or eyes or your forehead or your hands, (laughs) it's going to move the um, device, right? It's going to move it around. It's going to, it's going to vibrate. Um, so that's why it's so important to find stability within your tripod mount and then also have so much stability that you don't have to use touch it with your hands because if you touch it with your hands, it'll move. And if it okay. moves, you might miss that little signature, right? So the combination of being being relaxed and and being a being in a you know, I'm not gonna say because everybody's bodies are different, you know. Some people can't kneel on their knee. Some people have a hard time standing for a long period of time. Some people can't get down in the prone position. So what I would say is find a position that's comfortable for you, that you can sit in a chair or be in a position that you can spot and not get fatigued. Now, I've watched videos that are on the Internet of teams shooting, and I'll watch and I'll observe. And I know that the guy that's spotting is very, very uncomfortable. He's fidgeting. He's moving around. It's causing him to, and the scope is on a little cheap, lightweight tripod, and it's 15-mile-an-hour gust winds, and he can't, there's no calls because he's, he's not seeing the impacts or the trace. You know, those are things that you really need to get worked out, you know, if you want to be able to see the trace and see the impacts.
0: So spotting is just like shooting. It requires practice.
1: Absolutely. And and
0: trying to identify,
1: yeah, trying to identify how to be stable and how to be comfortable and how to learn. Now, there's another element, too, and that's learning to pick up trace. A lot of guys, um, there's an easy way to do it, and that would be whatever caliber that you're shooting in competition, you simply go out to a range where you can shoot distances that you would be shooting in a competition, and you set up behind them, and then you have them start shooting. And if you can't see the trace, don't give up. Don't think, oh, you know, I can't see it. My eyes can't see it. No. Start out at a lower level, and then just every time he shoots, just raise it up a little bit. Raise it up a little bit. Raise it up a little bit. Hello. So, there it is. I mean, you'll, right. you'll you'll find it. I mean, most people don't try. They just give up, and most of the time I would say that 90% of the people out there, they underestimate the altitude of the trace of the bullet. Most of the time, the trace is way higher than what they think. Um, so I would say don't give up. Just keep raising your scope up and concentrate and relaxing your eyes. Don't try to focus on one little point. Just try to relax your eyes and pick up a signature that comes through the, the, through the uh, lens and uh, then once you see it, then you can notate for 2,000 yards, looking through a scope, I need to look above this certain level. Now, if you're at a certain range is that, you, that, you, that you go to a lot, you can write down in your notebook, you know, at the 1,500-yard target, my scope needs to be at the top of that pine tree, you know, or whatever. You're giving yourself a cheat sheet, you know. Oh, to pick. okay. Yeah. So, you can track. That's document. where you've
0: noticed your bullet trace, your bullet's path. Yeah. And oh, so, whatever. Okay.
1: And if you have different rounds, if you'd have like a 338 or 375 or 416, they're going to have different trajectories. So, they're going to have different marks, right? So, the one that's a lot faster and flatter, it might be three quarters of the way up the top of the pine tree, where the, you know, the slower ones might be at the top. But you make yourself a cheat sheet basically writing down where all these trace marks are and um, it'll help you out a lot. And then once you start doing that, then you'll develop kind of like, you'll just know where to look. If you go to a different range or a different terrain, you kind of know where, where to look at that point. It'll, it'll be much easier to find it. Okay. Yeah. And that's, then that's
0: a, that's a good, that's a good thing for me to start noting in my trusty data book.
1: So, yeah. I will just start, you know, yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously the first and foremost, though, is stability with a good tripod and mount, um, and then practice different types of positions where you're watching. And, you know, you can just go out, take your 22 and, you know, go out and just have somebody shoot it and just, you know, blast, you know, a couple hundred rounds and just get a lot of time on the scope, you know, That's, and then. Yeah you naturally will start to adjust, move around, and you'll notice that, oh, man, you know, my scope's all over the place. I need to figure out how to make it. So you'll start, you know, manipulating your tripod and trying to get in different positions where it's stable. And then once it's stable, then you'll start to experiment with those elevations and and start picking up trace. And the next thing you know, you'll be like, yeah, I got it. No problem. (laughs) Right. Right. Another thing that I do is I look at the analytics and I utilize the max ordinance feature and I get an estimate of where the max ordinance is. And then I look at how high it is. And that will also give me a kind of a starting point to kind of guesstimate where I need to be, where I need to look. Also too, I also, on our cheat sheets for team GPG, I write the time of flight down for each target. So the spotter can utilize a time frame of the time of flight to help him relax his eyes before that signature might impact. So let's say, for example, we're shooting two miles and it's roughly six to seven seconds time of flight. Well, if I'm trying to strain my eyes through the concussion of the round going off, sometimes it makes people flinch, right? Well, that's okay. You can blink your eyes a couple times and get ready for that six to seven seconds where then you can just kind of open your eyes and relax. And then, you know, it's hard for some people to keep their eyes open for more than six or seven seconds, you know? So, especially with the blast of the dust flying and everything. So if you can kind of, you know, that's another kind of a technique is if you can kind of game the time of flight with your eyes and relax, you can see a lot more impacts um, than if you're blinking or moving around or your scope's not steady, it makes it very difficult to see all those impacts. And, you know, your shooter, he's relying on you, Amanda. I mean, if you miss the first impact and he doesn't see it and you don't see it, you just – that's massive points. And then the second shot, you're you're basically taking another cold bore shot.
0: Right. So if
1: you don't see that first shot, I mean, that's a huge – uh, lost your team a massive amount of points. You just lost, and uh, it's your he's your buddy. You want to help him out,
0: <laughs> right? Right,
1: because
0: <laughs> you still want him to drink beer with you later. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, it's a team game, right? So, even though there's individual scores and individual places and individual awards, you know, we we look at it as it doesn't matter how we end up as long as our team finishes. And the top, you know, that's our goal is to have everybody finish toward the top. And we all, you know, and one of the things that's kind of, you know, I don't know, it's up to maybe we need to talk about it in the future. But one of the things for awards is um, I think that there should be team awards Um, because it's a team. It's a team game. We're not out there by ourselves. We have people out there that are spotting and calling win for us. Right. So really, I mean, if the team wins, it should be a team award, I think. But that's for another discussion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so just to recap this really quick so we know where we are. So yep. when you're, you're spotting, we need stability. Stability yep. for your scope and, and for the spotter. The spotter needs to be in a good position for them.
1: Yep. You, you, need, to, to- you need to practice stability both in the scope And in your head and eyes.
0: Okay. And then you need a good optic.
1: A good optic that you can be comfortable with where you can, you know, spot all day long. Something with a longer eye relief is helpful. Some of these scopes have such a short eye relief that you kind of get lost and you're kind of moving your head around trying to see a clear sight picture. I'm sure you've seen that before.
0: I, I have. Yep.
1: So you want to have something that's got a really long eye relief. Something that's very easy to look through and stay steady. And then you and, also want to practice with, you know, rifles that you'd be shooting at, distances that you'd be shooting at to learn the so, trace and the impacts and signatures.
0: And and then to also know your time of flight so you have a frame of reference for yeah. and how, then how much time you have before impact.
1: Yep. And then also something that helps me out a lot is um a reference of size of the plate and adjustment you need to know exactly the dimensions of that target and you need to make a graph um some some way to now some people have reticles in their spotting scope where they can just mill it or use a minute of angle to give a correction
0: oh um, right
1: you need to you need to figure out a way to when you see the impact to quickly and accurately give your shooter an adjustment. So whether you're using the mill dot reticle or MOA reticle, or whether you're using just a scratch pad, making your own graph, whatever you utilize, you need to be able to, when you see that impact, you just, you don't want to say it's about two plates left. Huh, right that, that's not going to be accurate enough you need to tell him um you you need to tell him the exact correction I don't like talking about debating where it hit or what how I, far I think it is away when Derek shoots I would simply tell him after I see the impact to say one minute right one minute down send it it's that fast and that quick and then he shoots within a second or two. Rather than saying, hey, Derek, did you see that? Oh, no, Paul, did you see it? Oh, yeah, I thought it was about two targets left. What do you think? Oh, yeah, that's about right. Okay, so, well, why don't you just go hold two plates right? How's that sound? Yeah, okay, I'm going to hold two plates right. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, send it. Well, do you realize there's just about, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 seconds that have just transpired, and now the win call is... Another two minutes, right?
0: <laughs> oh, right! Instead of just whether, rather whether, than just
1: saying when, when the spotter sees the impact, one minute right, send it. I mean, it's that there's no debate. We trust each other because we've practiced and we've trained, so we already right. know and trust each other that. So it's a simple, quick adjustment, and the shooter sends it.
0: That that's awesome. Um, and not I, only I that, but.
1: When there's less communication, generally there's less confusion.
0: Uh, yes, I'll agree with that.
1: Um, <clears throat> what? And then Go another ahead. thing, too, it may not seem like a lot, but it doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with spotting. But, you know, one of the big things we learned is I can't hear very good anymore. And <laughs> I, I wear electronic earmuffs, earring muffs, whatever, whatever. Uh, um, but we all went to double uh, magnifying hearing devices, both internal and external, to be able to hear each other because it's just hard to hear when you're shooting and, and uh, talking and, you know, the communication, you noise part, and, yeah. the communication part of spotting is also very crucial of how much you talk and what you say and how quickly you can get back on target.
0: Well, that's, I, that, this was very, um, very knowledgeable. I'm, I'm excited because I, I get to go with the mobile lab uh, a bunch this summer. So I'm excited to to watch and learn um, and see other spotters and other shooters this summer. Um, and now I have those little pieces of of information to help me learn and watch and observe. Um, so that's very,
1: yeah, I would say Amanda, that, um, whenever you get an opportunity, we're at the range, um, and you're walking around and there's people shooting every opportunity you get, grab someone's scope. If you're ever around, I'll let you borrow mine. It's not a big deal. Just grab someone's scope. Most shooters will lend their scopes out and try out a bunch of different scopes and see which ones work better. Um, everybody eyes, everybody's eyes are a little different and everybody has a bit different, you know, style that they look, look through and see, but I would just start trying everybody's optics and then watch people shoot, just get time on the range of watching people shoot and moving the scope around and, and just, you know, just try to practice, uh, seeing, seeing the trace and seeing the impacts. And, you know, you'd be surprised how quickly you can pick it up.
0: Yeah, that, I will do that. I appreciate that. That's exciting. So um, we're getting close to um, wrap-up time. Um, uh, I I can't thank you enough. Um, I always enjoy our conversations. Um, leading up to us doing this, you and I chatted a couple of times about what we were going to talk about, and yeah. I I always feel like I walk away having learned something. So I really appreciate that. Um, and it it must, must be kind of a surreal feeling to know that when you started, you were calling, um, you know, the, the, the big shooters in the, in the industry and the, you know, people who had a name and, and now you're, you're kind of that person, Paul, you're, you're, you're the person that people are asking questions of. And that's, that's so awesome to me and so exciting.
1: Well, thanks, Amanda. I really appreciate it. that. Means a lot, you know. I, I'm very passionate. Um, I have fun with it. Um, you know, one of the main things as we wrap this up, I just want to make sure that everybody understands, all the listeners, <clears throat> that with the AB solvers, you know, with, the, with the analytics, and the Kestrel, and the Garmin, and spotting, you know, you really need to just put time. Time on the rifle and with the team, and you know, put it to the test. You know, and and practice all these things, and and stay up to date with all the inputs and environmentals.
0: Right. That's the
1: biggest thing that I see that teams don't do. They might ha- even a PRS match I watched just a few weeks ago up in MTC. I mean, a lot of people think that they can just get their environmentals in the morning and then they're gonna last them the rest of the day. You need to really stay on that stuff and really pay attention to detail with all the inputs. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that I can say to people out there is just practice, but really pay attention to those inputs because, you know, Ray Gross and last year, he won the NRA overall. And I literally, I just pulled up my AB app on my phone and I put all the environmentals in there and I gave him a cheat sheet with the elevations and wind and he kicked butt for yeah, my AB app. I mean, that's all I use. It, <laughs> right. it was crazy. It's crazy. Um, but I just put a velocity and all the environmentals. but at any rate, um, thanks. Thanks for everything. And I, you know, really team GPG feels great to be a part of the AB team and we're excited about the future and hopefully all this madness will calm down and we can get back to shooting.
0: Yes. Yes. So, um, the, the last thing I want to ask you really quick before we go is who, who, um, where should I go next? Who should I ask questions of next?
1: to okay. So what have you covered so far? You've covered.
0: Uh, I've talked to, I've talked to, to Mitch and Winky, um, uh extensively they went over um bcs and we talked about um Mm. uh like i learned i didn't know i didn't know there was a more than a g1 and a g7 (laughs) right um so i learned i learned a little bit about that so that was interesting Um, and uh and we we moved into like custom drag models and how that benefits the shooter and then we talked about uh personal drag models and that Extra step of help.
1: Okay. And so then, then today we covered spotting, right? Yep. So then I would talk to Amel Waltwind. wind.
0: That's what I was thinking too. I'm glad we're on the same page there. I'm going to have to uh, reach yeah. out to him. Yeah, and I would talk to Amel.
1: Amos can put it, he's been around a long time. He understands how to teach it very, yes. very well. And he can break it down into terms that people can understand. Awesome. But, you know, Amel one of the best. And, uh, yeah, I would talk to him.
0: We've, we've called him out. Yeah. He's got to come on now.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, I really, really, truly appreciate you. And um, I look forward to seeing you um, soon at an event.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Amanda.
0: Thanks, Paul. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.